Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. If we've not met before, my name's Chris. I'm the senior minister here at Andover Baptist Church, and I am so excited to get into this new series that we're starting today. I've been so excited about that opener all week long as well. I'm a child of the 80s, so a bit of Belinda Carlisle. I mean, honestly, I've been singing that all week in preparation for today. So Andy and the band, thank you. What a great job you did with that. I absolutely love that. So that sets the scene for what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks in talking about what heaven is like. In March 2021, YouGov, the survey company, they did a survey in Britain of what people thought about the afterlife, and it was absolutely fascinating. 42% of people living in Britain today say they don't believe in an afterlife, about a third say that they do, and about 25% are unsure. Women are more likely to believe in an afterlife than men, although I found, and this, by the way, I found fascinating, young men between the ages of 16 and 24 are more likely to believe in an afterlife than men over 60, which I thought, surely that should be the other way around, should it not? But I thought that was absolutely fascinating. And here's something else I find absolutely fascinating. Of people who say they actively practice their faith, Only 69% of people who actively practice their faith say they believe in an afterlife. I found that utterly extraordinary. But you know, whatever we do or don't believe about an afterlife, whatever we do or don't believe about heaven, as a culture, we talk about it a lot. I mean, think about the jokes that we tell, you know, when a nun, a vicar and a golfer arrive at the pearly gates. I've just made that up. There probably is a joke about that, isn't there? But, you know, that sort of joke, we tell that all the time, don't we? What about the phrases that we use? When we're frustrated, we say, oh, for heaven's sake. When something tastes amazing to us, we say, oh, that tastes heavenly. When we really want to get something done, we say, I'm going to move heaven and earth to get that done. When we see two people who are so good together, we say what? We say they're a match made in heaven. When we use the loo after somebody's been in there before us, we say, wait for it, we say, oh, that stinks to high heaven, don't we? We say this sort of stuff all the time. Think about the songs that we listen to. And we've been having a great time on the chat with this. Uh, For those of you who are online with us today, we've been chatting away on the live chat. We were doing this in the studio before about songs that we listen to that are about heaven. Somebody uh, helped me out on the live chat. They talked about Show Me Heaven by Maria McKee. You have to be a child of the 80s to remember that one as well, I reckon. Somebody else talked about I Can Only Imagine, a, a song by Mercy Me all about heaven. What about The Stairway to Heaven? What about ACDC, the highway to hell? That's got something to do with the afterlife, I'm pretty sure. What about not not knocking on heaven's door? What about Bruno Mars feeling locked out of heaven? And what about this one? This is a poignant one. What about Eric Clapton singing about the child that he lost? And would they be reunited one day in heaven? You know, many years ago now, when I was leading a church in in another place, There was a pub just across the road from our church, and it had a reputation in our town of being the roughest pub in town. And one day I was in my office, it was during the week, and a lady showed up in our office and she asked to see me. So I started chatting to her. It turns out she was the landlady of that pub across the road. And her partner, who had been the landlord, had really sadly and tragically passed away. And they were doing a funeral, but they wanted somebody, and this is the quote, they wanted somebody religious, they weren't religious, but they wanted somebody religious to come and speak at the wake in the pub. So I 
what can you say when somebody asks you to go and do that, right? Roughest pub in the town, don't really know these people, it's not religious, but they want somebody religious to go and speak at the way. What are you going to do? So I said, yes, of course I will. So I, I then started telling people I was going to go over to this pub. So my friend Mark, who was part of the leadership team of the church, Mark might be joining us online today. Actually, they live a little bit further away, but sometimes Mark joins us online. He may be listening to this. Um, Mark said he'd come with me to have my back. <laughs> so we go to the pub across the road, and I've prepared some stuff. And I decided to start with a joke, which potentially was a really bad idea. So anyway, basically, everybody's drinking in the pub. It's ram-packed full. They calm everybody down. They say, everybody's got to shut up. And they're right, right. The religious one is now going to talk. <laughs> so I have to get up in this packed pub, and I have to talk. And I decided to start with a joke. And I got halfway through this joke, and I thought, I think this is a really bad idea. This could go really badly. Well, as it happens, it was the perfect thing to do because everybody laughed. I talked more and we, we had an amazing time. Never had to buy a drink in that pub again, by the way. Um, that was an added bonus. And we, Mark and I, we got out alive. So that was okay too. And they were very grateful. But afterwards, when we were hanging around afterwards and we were drinking and all that kind of stuff, people were saying to me about the landlord. They came up and they said, oh, I'm sure he's looking down on us now. He'd have been really pleased with this thing today. He's going to be keeping an eye over this pub, make sure it's all all right. And I thought to myself, this is fascinating to hear this story being told from all these people who weren't religious, but clearly had something going on that was more than just platitudes, I think, in terms of what they were thinking about what was happening to this guy now he'd passed away. And I think of all that cultural stuff, of all the language that we use, of that evening in the pub, I think about all that stuff, and I wonder what that means and here's something of what I think that means. I think that means that we share a desire for heaven, even if we don't share a belief in heaven. Even if you wouldn't say you were a person of faith, even if you wouldn't say you were a Christian, if you're here today and you're exploring faith, you are so, so welcome with us. We want to be the kind of church where you can come and explore faith no matter what you believe. But I reckon you probably share with the rest of us a desire for heaven even if you don't share a belief in heaven. And as it turns out from that YouGov poll, there are plenty of Christians, plenty of church people around who don't know what they think about heaven either. So we're kind of all in this shared boat really this morning where we're sharing a desire for heaven. Maybe we think we know some of the things that we believe about it, or maybe we don't believe in heaven at all, but there's lots for us to be unpacking. So you might not believe in an afterlife because you think it just sounds too far-fetched. It's like a fairy tale. People trying to comfort themselves when life is hard or they've lost people that they love. You may have stopped thinking about it. Maybe you are a person of faith, but you've stopped thinking about heaven because it just feels too kind of way off for you and you can't really get your head around it. Or maybe you've heard all of those stories and you've got images that are so often portrayed to us about heaven of fluffy clouds and harps and all that kind of stuff. And honestly, that doesn't feel very appealing to you. Or maybe you've been around Christians and been around church a while, and you've heard heaven talked about as like a never-ending worship service. And I mean, we love our sung worship around here. I'm going to be careful what I say now. We love our sung worship around here, but even with that, a never-ending worship service doesn't sound terribly appealing to us. And what if our thinking about heaven, no matter where we start, we're starting from in our thinking, what if it was all wrong? Or what if some of it was wrong? 
See, when Jesus talked about heaven, he didn't talk uh, uh, like somebody who was living off of wishful thinking. He didn't talk like somebody who was thinking pie in the sky when you die. He didn't talk like somebody who was thinking heaven was going to be this floating around on fluffy clouds kind of thing, which doesn't really sound very appealing to anybody. Jesus talked like he actually believed in life after death, and he talked like somebody who had total confidence that there was life beyond this one in eternity and that it was real, not something far off or distant, not some sort of ethereal thing, but a present and a future reality. And that impacted his closest friends and his followers, and they took confidence from him, and they wrote about it too, and about the things that he had told them. What have they come to believe about heaven? What had they come to believe about heaven that we might have missed or even dismissed? And if we do believe in heaven... Does what we really believe about heaven make a difference to us now, to our lives now? Well, those are some of the things that we're going to be unpacking over the next three weeks together. And we start today with a talk I've entitled, Heaven, Why Does It Matter? Why does heaven matter? Why does what we believe about heaven matters? And I'm going to give you the bottom line for today, right from the outset, as long as you promise not to switch off after I've said this for the rest of the talk. The bottom line is, what we look forward to in the future determines how we live today. What we look forward to in the future determines how we live today. I wonder what you're looking forward to. What you're looking forward to in terms of your career or your financial status or your resources or your retirement. Are you looking forward to uh, meeting somebody and being in a relationship? Are you looking forward to moving out of home? Are you looking forward to the next career advance and what are you looking forward to and how is that shaping your life now? Because if what Jesus and his followers said and believed about heaven, it changes everything, including our perspective on what we're doing now. So today we're going to start with Jesus and then next week and I think the week after we're going to talk a little bit about what some of his friends and followers had to say. But today we go right to Jesus and we're going to look at three conversations that Jesus has that give us a clue about what Jesus thinks about heaven. And I should, that's actually not right. They give us way more than a clue. They give us this view of what Jesus thought about heaven. So we're going to look at these three conversations. The first one is a conversation that took place while Jesus was dying on the cross. And this is the first conversation we're going to look at today, and it's in Luke's account of the life of Jesus, which is in the New Testament part of the Bible. And Luke was a kind of a a doctor and a a historian, and he wrote down the stories of Jesus' life. And this is what Luke writes about that day Jesus died on a cross. Because on the cross next to Jesus, on his right and his left, were two criminals who were being crucified alongside him. And this happens. One of the criminals who hung there with Jesus hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So one of the things that was happening as Jesus was dying on the cross is people were hurling insults at him. The crowd were mocking him. And this criminal joins in with the crowd. But then there's a second criminal who does something a little bit different. He doesn't join in with the mocking and the abuse, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. So this second criminal 
is the third or fourth person in a list of people who have recognized Jesus' innocence all the way through his trial and his execution. So first of all, Herod and then Pilate and then others who were involved could find no fault in Jesus, no reason for him to be sent to his death. But they did it anyway because of the pressure of the crowd and others who were around. But this criminal recognizes Jesus' innocence. But then he goes on. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, I think this is interesting, by the way. This is a slight aside. But, you know, the first person to give a positive response to what Jesus was achieving and doing on the cross is a criminal. I think that's amazing. The first person to acknowledge what Jesus was doing on the cross was a criminal. That tells us something. By the way, if you're a Christian, that tells us something about our faith. It tells us something about who Jesus is and was and the way he included people. This is amazing. Everybody else is missing what is happening here. But the criminal hanging next to him spots it. And Jesus' response, today you will be with me in paradise, tells, tells us the first thing I want us to know about heaven today. Heaven is a present reality. And people who believe in him go there after they die. Heaven is a present reality, and people who believe in Jesus go there after they die. This is happening now. Today, Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. The, the criminal is told that this very day. And we're also told he gets to be with Jesus. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Heaven is a place where Jesus is today. Today. So heaven is a present reality. And this idea of a present heaven is perhaps the most common view that we have, particularly people if, if you've been around church world or Christian world. This is perhaps the most common view we have about heaven the belief that comes from these words of Jesus that heaven is a present reality. It's where we go when we die to be with Jesus in heaven. But this is only the first thing that I want us to know about heaven. The first thing that I want us to know Jesus said about heaven. It's a present reality now. But to find the next reality that Jesus talked about when he talked uh, about heaven, we need to go to a time just a little bit before this, a little bit before Jesus died on a cross. We need to go to a moment where he's having a conversation with his closest friends, a time where he is trying to comfort them because he knows what is about to happen. So we go to our next conversation of Jesus, and this is in John's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And Jesus is trying to comfort his friends. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Troubled is a word I want to drill down on a little bit in this phrase right now. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You know, Jesus on two or three other occasions talked about, talks about his heart being troubled, there are moments where Jesus, and, and this word trouble is quite a deep word. It, it doesn't convey that to us, I don't think, in the, the depth that Jesus meant it. Disturbed, upset, grieving, that, that kind of thing. And when Jesus does this on at least two other occasions. One, when he's faced with the death of his friend Lazarus, Jesus is troubled. And secondly, when he contemplates what is ahead of him when it comes to the cross... And then thirdly, when he was betrayed by one of his closest friends, by Judas, 
We're told it troubled him. So we've had at least three other occasions where Jesus has felt this way, but this time it's his friends who are feeling that way, and he wants to comfort them. And it's interesting where Jesus goes to in, by means of trying to comfort them. Think of all the things Jesus could have said to them by means of trying to comfort them. This is where he goes. He, he tries to comfort them by giving them the hope in something that is to come. Look, he says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? My father's house has many rooms if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if you've been to a funeral, even if you're not a Christian, if you've been to funerals, you may have heard this being read. It's a quite a common thing to be read at a funeral service. And it's an interesting thing, in, in an old translation called the King James translation of the Bible, it says, uh, it talks about mansions. In my father's mansion, there are many rooms. The problem is that language is not terribly helpful because it's not really indicative of what the words originally meant because the word rooms is the Greek word mone. This was written in Greek. The uh, a Greek word for house that we've translated as house was mone. Uh, it's a slightly different uh, translation of the same thing, uh, or version of the same word. They mean to reside or abide, and they're often used in terms of a place of rest rather than a physical dwelling place. So we think when we hear house and rooms, you and I probably think of a physical dwelling place. That's not really the context in which they were used in the Greek language. They were used to mean more of a, a place of rest, a place to abide, a place to, to stay and recuperate. Jesus is saying that when we die, we're going to go to a place that feels like rest, that feels like home, not necessarily a physical dwelling place, but a place that feels like home. And it's a place that we're going to be forever. And it's a place that Jesus has gone ahead to prepare. The location of this place is really important. There's only a couple of other times where this phrase, the Father's house, is used in the Bible. And it was used to describe the temple, which was the center of the Jewish faith that Jesus had grown up in and that Jesus had come, uh, come from. And uh, the Father's house meant the temple, and the temple was a place where heaven and earth met. The temple was a place that you went to where heaven and earth came together, and people could go and they could reach out and they could touch heaven. So the fact that we're talking here about a father's house, it's a place where heaven and earth meet. Now we're going to talk lots more about that next week, so you need to come back to talk about what it means for heaven and earth to unite in that place where they meet. But Jesus, for now, what we need to know is that Jesus is hinting at a new home in the future, a new world where heaven and earth are going to meet and where God is going to renew the whole world and at that time, there will be room and space for everyone. For everyone. If they want it. And Jesus is going to prepare that place. This is the future heaven. And Jesus is coming back to take us there. This is the second really important thing that Jesus believed about heaven and that we get from his conversations about heaven. It was not only a present reality, but it was a future promise of a place prepared. And in the future, Jesus is coming back to take us to that heavenly home. The final thing for us today comes from our third conversation. 
And this one again starts with Jesus talking to his closest friends and followers. And in this conversation, much earlier in his ministry life, he's trying to teach his followers how to pray. And they've wanted to know how to pray. And now we're going to Matthew's account of Jesus' life in the New Testament. And they ask Jesus how to pray. And Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Here's the third thing that I want us to know about heaven today. It's a present reality. It's a future promise. And we can experience and participate in heaven here and now. Here and now we can experience heaven breaking in. The term for will in that sentence is thelema. Again, another Greek word. We're doing some Greek today. It's thelema. That's the word that we've translated will. It can also mean God's purpose and desire. What that tells us is when God's purpose and desire comes to be, when we carry out God's purposes and his will and his desire on earth, we experience something of heaven and the reality of the kingdom of heaven breaking in on earth. Now, ultimately, heaven will be a place where the complete reign and rule of God is taking place, when all evil will be overthrown, where God's perfect will will be done, where God's desires and purposes will be carried out entirely and utterly and completely. That's the promise of heaven, but the promise is also that we can be involved with heaven breaking in on earth. When God's purposes and will take place even in this fallen, evil-strewn world that we experience now, we can see something of heaven breaking in on earth. The kingdom of heaven and God's will and purposes being lived out on earth. Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, on earth now, as it will be in heaven. I think that's an amazing thing, that we can experience heaven here on earth now, when the will of God breaks in, when the followers of Jesus live out the desires and purposes of God. You might want to tell yourselves, by the way, that that's quite exciting, because you don't look very excited right now, I'm just saying. I mean, I think that's incredible, isn't it? Is it just me? I think that's an amazing thing that heaven can break in on earth. Now, our perspective on heaven impacts how we live on earth. It impacts how we live on earth. And conversely, how we live on earth impacts how we'll experience heaven. Think of it like this. Here's an illustration about this. What do, you, what do you look forward to? We love, um, Ruth, my wife and I and our family, we love holidays and we love going away. And if you've been around ABC for a while, I've bored you with endless stories of going away on holiday and climbing mountains and all that kind of stuff. We love being outdoors. We love walking and hiking and all that kind of stuff. So we always really look forward to those holidays. And my family have a joke with me about how far through the current holiday that we're on will I start talking about what the next one could be. Does anybody else do that? So they say, oh, well done, Dad, you've made it to the sixth day of this holiday before you've started planning the next one. And I really look forward to that stuff because I know what it does and how refreshing it is and what it does to my soul and all of that kind of stuff. 
What we look forward to determines how we think and how we live. And that's kind of a silly example, but there are much more serious examples. If what we look forward to is promotion or career, or we're really ambitious for that kind of stuff, that determines how we prioritize our time now. If we're really looking forward to that next purchase, to the thing that we really want, the material possession that we really desire, that determines where we spend our time and what we do with our money now. If we're really looking forward to a relationship and maybe we're hoping and praying one day for a relationship with somebody else or we're hoping for a really good relationship with a friend or with our kids or whatever, that determines how we live and how we behave now. If we believe in absolute and total nothingness after we die, that impacts how we live now. Famously, there's a series on Netflix called Afterlife, and I just want to say by Ricky Gervais, I'm not commending that you go and watch it, because you won't get very far into it before the language is really extreme, and I don't want you all to go away from today saying, well, that Chris Porter, he told us we've all got to go and watch Afterlife with Ricky Gervais, but it is a story of somebody who believes in absolute nothingness after they die, and he's lost a loved one, and that impacts how he behaves now, and he behaves appallingly, by the way impacts how he behaves now. What you think about the afterlife, what you think about heaven, what you do or don't believe in that, that impacts how you live now. If heaven for you is fluffy clouds and harps and an everlasting sing-along, I'm not sure how much hope that stirs in you now, however good the music is, however brilliant Andy's leading it. Assuming, I was about to say, assuming you're in heaven, but that's a really bad thing to say, isn't it? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's not good. <laughs> I have absolute confidence that Andy will be in heaven. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> so you're still all right to do the rest. <laughs> you're off. No more music today, folks. Okay, so. But that impacts how we believe and what we think about things now. And, and to be honest, if that's our view of heaven and that's all it is, it's probably not going to encourage you to keep going with God when things are hard. It's probably not going to give you comfort and peace when you've lost a loved one or you're struggling or you're coming to terms with the fact that you'll die, I'll die one day. Probably doesn't help very much when you're thinking about whether or not you believe in God or you want to explore the Christian faith if that's your view of what Christians think about the afterlife. But if, if, you're looking forward to the kinds of things that Jesus was talking about, the kinds of things he believed in with utter confidence and certainty. If, we, if you believe in the kind of things Jesus talked about that we've explored today about heaven, about what happens after we die, well, I think that's a whole different ball game. If you think about heaven as being a place like home, a place where Jesus is, a place to rest and abide and be, a, a place that's been prepared just for you. You know, Jesus and God, his Father, they know what you love. They know the things that bring you joy and happiness. How amazing is that, that they've gone to prepare a place for you? I mean, just think about that for a moment. If they know all the things you love and all the things that bring you joy, and heaven is a place full of joy and no more grief and no more tears and no more mourning, just think what that place is going to be like. Because Jesus has prepared it for you. 
Think about a place where God's will and purposes reign perfectly, where evil does not have any sway. So there is no more suffering, no more grief, no more tears, no more loss. Think about a place where heaven and earth meet. Well, I think if we're thinking about those kind of things, well, I think that changes everything. And if we really believed that, it would change how we lived today. It would change how we approach the things and the struggles and the trials of our lives today. And of course, it wouldn't reduce uh, the grief and the loss and the pain we feel when we're struggling or we've lost somebody that we love. But it would give us a hope that that isn't the end. There is a place prepared for us where we will be reunited one day. We'll talk about that next week too. And where you and I, we can experience everlasting, eternal, abundant, resurrected life. You know, this is a more than we could ever imagine kind of experience that waits for us. And it's guaranteed for us on the other side of this life. And if we believe that, wouldn't that change how we lived now? One of those first followers of Jesus was a guy called Paul, and he wrote this in one of the letters that he wrote to a church. He said, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. What are you giving your life to? Is it worthy of your devotion and your hope and your thoughts? Heaven offers an unlimited amount of promise to you. Look towards that, and it will change the way you live now, and it will change your perspective now. And here's the challenge I want to ask you today. Is what you are living towards worthy of that investment? Is it big enough, and is it rewarding enough for your one and only earthly life? Because I think heaven is, and I think that changes everything. Because what we look forward to in the future determines how we live now. And that's why what we believe about heaven really matters. Let's pray together. Lord God, our Father, we thank you for those conversations that Jesus had that teach us about heaven, that teach us about the life that awaits us beyond this one. Lord, I'm so aware, to, uh, aware today that today is a sensitive subject. That for many of us this is real and this is true and that we've lost people that we love or we're facing illnesses or sufferings of our own. And so, Lord, we're just hugely sensitive to that today. But I pray that this might be a comfort to those who are mourning. This picture of heaven might bring us hope in our grief. I pray today for others of us who are exploring faith, not quite sure what we believe. I pray that this view of heaven would be an excitement that might begin to stir in us, that would, would give us the desire to reach into what Jesus has to say, to investigate his claims, to see if they're true. I pray for those of us who We'd say we're people of faith, but if we were honest, we've had this view of heaven that's not really very exciting. It's maybe been fed to us in the past. 
and really hasn't stirred a huge amount of hope in us and really, if we're honest, hasn't changed much about the way we live now. Lord God, I pray, just change us and transform us. Help us to hold on to this picture. Help us to have that confidence that Jesus had, that total confidence in a life beyond this one, a present reality, a future promise. And help us to receive that challenge to see your kingdom come, the kingdom of heaven come on earth today when we step into your will and your purposes for our lives. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.